Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Church Podcast. We're happy that you would join us for today's teaching. As a church, we're passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus, no matter who they are or where they are from. If you have any questions about Jesus, the church, or the teaching you're hearing today, please don't hesitate to contact us online at ericksoncovenant.ca. And now, let's listen to this week's teaching. When did we get afraid of the dark? When did you get afraid of the dark? I think I was afraid of the dark as a kid. I think maybe every kid has that experience. But I think it was really sharpened when I was a parent of young children. Afraid of the dark took on a whole new meaning because when you're stumbling around at night trying to get the baby who started crying, you're so afraid that you're going to step on what? That piece of Lego? trip over that thing that you left in the middle of the floor and your grogginess and you're going to fall. That sharpened my fear of the dark. I think um, I've heard others tell stories of a fear of the dark that may come from some experience when they were growing up of, of being locked in the dark or hearing sounds in the dark. Being afraid of the dark is somewhat natural because for us, darkness is a problem. Our eyes don't work so good in the dark. We're not able to see the way that we can see when the light is shining and things are bright. Darkness is a problem to us. Darkness is also a way that we have captured as people things that are going wrong, a time of darkness. We even talk about the dark ages, whether that's fully historically accurate or not. It's a way that we cast a a picture of things gone bad, darkness as a cloak of evil, Um, things happen in the dark that we know wouldn't happen if the light were shining. 2020, in many ways, has felt like a year of darkness, hasn't it? I mean, obviously, with COVID, with economic downturn, with the racial unrest, with all that's going on and continues to go on in the world, with famine, with war, with what's gone on in people's homes that we're not even fully aware of, like domestic abuse or the mental illness that has spiked as a result of isolation. This has all been dark, a dark time, a time of darkness. And yet, as thick as darkness is, literally or metaphorically, darkness is actually not a problem for God. We kind of know this, but I think we really need to hear it. And some of you really need to hear this message today. You need to know that your darkness maybe our darkness, is actually not a problem for God. Because even though your darkness, my darkness, our darkness can feel like the biggest thing there is, the biggest thing that's going on, whatever's crushing you, whatever's suffocating you, whatever feels like you can't get out of, feels like so threatening and big and real, that thing, that darkness, it's actually not an obstacle for God. It doesn't prevent him from working. It doesn't prevent him from loving you. It doesn't prevent him from bringing good things out of it. It's not a problem. How can I say that? Well, because in Jesus, the light has come. And the light pushes back the darkness. We know that literally when you light a candle, turn on a light, turn on your phone light. We also know that metaphorically. And when it comes to the world, that When darkness shines, Jesus has come. It signals the end of darkness. Now, that might sound like the most Sunday school answer you could ever possibly get. Jesus is the answer, right? But 
in a profound way. This is world-altering truth that when we're stuck in the darkness or stuck in a struggle or unsure of how this is ever going to come out right, this is what we need to hold on to. This is who we need to trust. And that's what we're going to explore today. We're continuing our series called Renewed, becoming active participants in this great story that God has been telling down through the ages as he relates to his people, as he, well, he created the world and called people to follow him and called this family to himself and covenanted himself with them, working through them to bring renewal to a world that had been ruined and broken by human sin, where darkness had become a real problem in the world. A problem that keeps coming back again and again and again through this story that we've been exploring. It seems like darkness isn't being pushed back very much. It's maybe being rolled forward at times. This darkness out there keeps coming back again and again because what we discover is the darkness that's out there, whether it's idolatry or injustice, whether it's on the home level or whether it's global, the darkness out there that we see and experience comes from somewhere. It comes from the darkness in here, the darkness in us. We who were called to image God in creation find that we are imaging other gods, and those gods are destroying us. And nothing seemed to be able to be done about this darkness that was constantly threatening to sweep away what God wanted for the world. So as a result, something had to be done to the human Heart. Remember God's conclusion about us? It was pretty dire. Jeremiah 17. The heart is deceitful, God says. Deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Which is a pretty dismal conclusion when God himself is asking the question. And yet, in God's resourceful grace, he doesn't let that be the final word about us. God pushes on to provide a remedy to that sickness. God, later on in Jeremiah, says, I've got a cure. I've got the antidote. I'm going to make a new covenant. Not like the covenant that failed before, but a new one. He goes on in other prophets, we talked about this last week, to promise to give us a new heart. To put a new spirit in us. He talks about a time that's coming when darkness will be pushed back by the light. Not just the darkness that's out there, but the darkness that's in here, that renewal would spread back into the world, to the image bearers, and to all of creation. And today we move from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And we're going to do that by starting with the Gospel of John. Yeah, I know it's the fourth book in the New Testament, but, you know, all four of those Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're all the stories of Jesus. So in that sense, they all start the story. I'd like us to walk through the first few verses of John to see how Jesus brings renewal into the darkness, the darkness of this world, the darkness of our lives, and then work out the implications of that for us as followers of Jesus. And if you're listening today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I think this will also help you grapple with what Jesus has done, what Christians believe about what Jesus has done, and the implications that that might have for you. 
as you grapple with who Jesus is. Well, John begins his story about Jesus by going right back to the very beginning with the story of creation. He takes us back to the darkness, as it were. This is how he begins the first few verses of John. Gospel of John, chapter 1, says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In the beginning was the word. John deliberately evokes the creation story. Because do you remember the opening verses of Genesis? Perhaps you've heard them before. The very first creation story begins with the same three words. In the beginning. John wants that to echo in our ears. Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Do you see a connection beginning to emerge? A formless, shapeless earth that's all dark? Light must come. And in the Genesis story, of course, God says, the first things he says is, let there be light and there was light. Well, John goes on immediately to tell the story of the coming of the light into our darkness. This is how he goes on in John chapter 1. In him, now he's referring to the word, the word who was with God, the word who was God. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Let me pause here. The John being referred to here is not the John who wrote the gospel. It's another John. We have enough Johns and Daves around today to understand how people get the same name, but just so we're not confused. All right, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him, that's Jesus, him, the word, all might believe. He himself, that's John, was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. John wants us to see how the light is now shining in the darkness. And it's a powerful truth, a powerful metaphor, that darkness that wasn't a problem the first time in creation, you know, God spoke and there was light, that darkness wasn't a real problem, wasn't an obstacle for God to do his work. It's not an obstacle now either. Jesus has the power over the darkness. And the whole story that we've been reading about, learning about, the whole story that's being told from Genesis to Malachi in the Old Testament has led up to this point that in Christ, who was present at the beginning, who was with God and is God, he brought light out of the darkness. He then called the people to himself and through the generations was faithful to lead them, to correct them, to discipline them to covenant with them, to chase after them, to rescue them, to send them into exile, to bring them home over and over and over again, that this light, this God, he is now coming into the darkness of the world, and he's coming as the light. Well, how did Jesus push back the darkness? How did he bring renewal in the darkness? First, he initiates recreation personally. It's interesting to think about the word 
doesn't just speak light into existence, but as the story unfolds, the word becomes the spoken light, who, we'll learn, takes on flesh in the darkness. The word is himself the light. Jesus becomes the light. He takes upon himself the task of bringing recreation personally, not by extension, but coming himself as the light. The gospel writer, John, he loves to use, and he does this often through the, through the book, he loves to take a word that has kind of two meanings. And you're left as a reader thinking, does he mean this or does he mean that? And the answer is often, yes. <laughs> Which leaves us a little bit confused. But he does it here in a profound way. See, the word, word, the word for word, is the word logos. And if that's a word we get for, you know, we use that with lots of terms today, like biology. That's the word about bios, the word about life. Or psychology, that logy about our psyche, the word about our minds. And that, you know, so that, that, that's around. And, and in that day and age, um, the, the average Greek-speaking Roman dude, when he heard the word logos, he had an idea in his mind of what that was. It was kind of the rational mind, maybe impersonal, but the rational uh, sense of, of, of behind all of creation. That's the, the sort of the foundation of life. That was the logos. And it was talked about and written about and understood. But logos in the uh, Hebrew mind, and as we understand the Genesis story, was also more personified. And it was God's word, the spoken Word and the Word of God was a significant uh, thing through the people of God as they heard and responded to God who was making a covenant to them and gave them His Word. His Word, which spoke the world into existence and then spoke His desire into existence uh, in His people. So these two things, you know, is it, is it, is it God who understood through the, through the Hebrew people and coming through the covenant? Or is it the, the, this logos, this rational mind? John kind of wants to take both of those ideas and say, well, yes, but wait. Wait till I get going. Wait till I tell you where that really lands. Because where it lands is in the person of Jesus. And that's where he's going to take people. So he kind of starts with wherever you're at. You know, if you're an average Greek guy and you're, you know, I kind of know what the word is. We're going to discover with a shocking clarity that that rational mind behind the universe is a person who walked and talked and healed and taught and, 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 and actually was God in the flesh. But if you're also the, a, a, a faithful Jew and, and, and you, you know the story of God's people and you're part of the covenant, you're also going to discover that God has crossed the line. He's become one of us. The God who made a covenant with us has now entered into our story in a profound way. And that also is going to rock your paradigm because Jesus has initiated recreation uh, personally. It's beautiful. Well, second... He activates this renewal through relationship. God has always been about relationship, but he's taken it up to a whole new level. John goes on, verse 10. He says, he, that's now the word, uh, the light. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. 
He came to that which was his own, he's referring to the Jewish people here, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor a husband's will, but born of God. Relationship stands at the center of everything. And we understand that as we read the story. You know, we've seen it unfolding you know, from, from quarks to galaxies, from the air to the seas, to us. And all the different kinds of relationships that we're connected to. Relationship stands at the center of everything. God knows that because God is himself a relationship. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who created a world that is inherently relational. And so for renewal to come, relationships stands at the center of it all. Because you see, darkness has pervaded every relationship on earth. And in order for true renewal to occur, all relationships need to now be reformed in the light, in relationship with the light, to the light. What this teaches us is that this renewal that Jesus is bringing isn't sort of disconnected. It's not abstract, but it's real. It's present. It's involved. It's right where we live, in our homes, in our towns, in our world. The covenant that God made with his people was always about relationships. This is consistent all through the story. And so this new covenant that Jesus is initiating is also all about relationships. But now he's saying, this thing, it's breaking the mold. It's now for anyone who would believe and entrust themselves to what God has done in Jesus. They become part of the family. They become reborn, renewed as the people that God has entered into covenant with through Jesus. Third, he, the light, Jesus, the word, enters ruined creation in order to renew creation. Verse 14 the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, let me pause there. We've heard this before, but John here is alluding to more than just the creation story. Now he's alluding to the Exodus story. The fact that God allowed them to encourage them, taught them, told them to build a tent, a tabernacle in which he would dwell by his presence. The story of Exodus is all about that. Well, the the word and the language that John picks up here is that Jesus came, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. In other words, he became the tent. He moved in. He is now the dwelling of God among us. And John wants us to hear all of the story so far through all of the ins and outs. He wants us to hear it being picked up by Jesus as he initiates renewal. So the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, you could step back and wonder, um, you know, could God have done all this and and shown us the light and initiated relationship and, and done all that without becoming one of us? Perhaps, you know, as the old saying goes, God can do whatever he wants, but What we recognize here is something profound, something deep, something that I think we can only scratch the surface on, and that is this. 
If God wants to bring true, lasting renewal to the world that he created and placed under us as his human images, then God had to bring renewal where it was needed most, which was within us as people. The word became flesh. Jesus becoming fully human is the most profound and unique thing about the Christian faith. It's what divides the Christian faith from any other perspective, theology, philosophy, religion. It has to do with what people think about Jesus. And in the Christian faith, we believe that God became us, one of us. Not in a sort of fake way or an illusory way or, you know, he sort of looked like us, but he wasn't really. No, no. We confess that Jesus became fully human. Fully God, fully human. Mysterious, yes, but true. God became one of us. God became a member of his own creation. He crossed the line that no one thought he could cross, which is why later on the Apostle Paul will say, the cross of Christ is foolishness to the Greeks, because within Greek philosophy, gods don't connect you know, with this, but it's also a stumbling block to the Jews. So the two kind of your groups that Paul knew about, there's the, the there's Jewish people and then there's everybody else, they looked at the cross. They looked at the God becoming flesh, becoming one of us, dying on a cross, God on a cross. They looked at that and said, that's either foolish or I, I can't, that's uh, 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 something I can't cross, a stumbling block. I, I can't get over that. It's a line that you'd say shouldn't have been crossed, but God, in his love, in his compassion, in his wisdom, in his grace, he crossed it. Why? Here's why. It's because God knew that in order for creation to be renewed, it had to be renewed by a human. By humans. We had to clean up our own mess. But we couldn't. The darkness had ruined us. We were unable to make the right response to God anymore. If anything tells us that, it's the story we've looked at so far. Humans could not do it. And so, what God does is he becomes one of us. So that in Jesus, a human being, a real, true, blue, flesh and blood human being can make the right response to the Father. Can actually bring renewal. Can be covenant faithful sinless, perfect, offer a full, right, worshiping, stewarding, caring, compassionate response to God as he always desired and created us to give. Jesus did that. A fully human solution. A fully human response. Dealing with our sin and failure because he stands as our representative, but also setting creation right again Because he, as the perfect image bearer of God, is able to offer the right response to God that we were unable to make. Then he turns around and says, I now stand for you. I have done this for the world, for you. The right response that humans needed to make and couldn't, I've made it on behalf of you, on behalf of Israel, on behalf of the world. A fully human response has been made to the Father, and he did it with style. He did it for us.
So the darkness is real, but Jesus came to push back that darkness as Lord over all creation, but also as a human being who enters into our darkness to overturn it. No wonder the darkness either, uh, this is another one of those little tricky bits, Um, some of your translations will say the darkness could not overcome the light. It also says, some says the darkness could not understand the light, couldn't comprehend it. Both are true. It looks at Jesus and thinks, we don't know what to do with this. A God in the flesh, a God who is human, and through Jesus, renewal comes. He enters into our darkness. He walks through it to bring about resurrection, renewed life. Where do we go with this practically? There's lots of deep stuff in here. I recognize that. Deep theology, because it matters. This is how we're trying to grapple with the nature of the world around us and who God is and who we are and how do we respond. What's our part in it? So let's get to some practical application as we close. The first thing is, is that we, as people who confess Jesus and follow him, we are called to name the darkness around us, to name the darkness in us, and to confess that the light has come. That's the first thing. We name the darkness and we confess the light. We do this personally. We we acknowledge the darkness that we experience within us. We acknowledge our own sin. We acknowledge our own addiction. We acknowledge our own struggle. We acknowledge the fact that our motives are mixed and we we, sometimes on good days we are really pretty awesome. But then other days we suck and we know that and we confess that. We also acknowledge just what's going on in our personal lives, maybe in relationship with our family or things at work or struggles that we just don't seem to be able to get over, maybe because others are inflicting them on us or maybe because we ourselves just are, well, we just don't have it. We name that darkness. We name it with clarity. We also name it in the broader sense. As followers of Jesus, we name the darkness that's going on in our world. We name it uh, with clarity. We call it what it is. We call it sin, evil. We call racism evil, for example. We call war evil. We name the darkness that people are struggling with in terms of mental health or domestic abuse. We name it with clarity. And we confess that Jesus is the light who has come into the world and somehow in ways that we can't even fully grasp, he is the light who will and does push back the darkness. We confess it. We pray into it. We shout it. We write it down. But we bear witness to the light as we name the darkness. That's the first thing. I don't fully understand how that all works, but I know that we're called to do that. It's part of our roles as priests in creation. Jesus himself, the teaching that flowed out from him through the apostles, talk about how we have been renewed as a holy priesthood. Um, Not maybe a priest in some of the ways that it's been captured culturally now or historically, but the sense in which we are now called to stand as mediators. We, We speak on behalf of creation, but we also speak from God to the world. We mediate that and And part of naming the darkness is acknowledging the struggle and the sin, but also so that we can confess the light and the grace and the healing that comes from Jesus. We embrace that. Second, just like the one we follow, we make relationships central to everything. It's easy, perhaps, when we name the darkness and confess the light to forget that 
We are called into relationships that everything about what we do and say, how we live, how we pray, is about making relationships central, about bringing healing and wholeness where there's been brokenness. When you look at the life of Jesus, who came full of grace and truth, his life is characterized by by the mending and the healing and the restoration of relationships. People who've been excluded, people who've been shut down, people who were just profoundly shattered. He would speak up. He would include them. Yeah, it caused them a lot of problems. But he made relationships central to everything he was doing personally, even as he was bringing wholeness to relationships in all of creation. And that challenges us. Because when we are um, sometimes raging against darkness, uh, raging against injustice, uh, when we are we are calling out things that are wrong, um, some of the people that are involved in those things, what we want to do is kind of stiff arm them at the same time. I was reminded recently at a Global Leadership Summit, um, Albert Tate, I think it was, um, talked about how Jesus would flip tables. And, and we need to be table-flipping leaders. In other words, leaders who are willing to call out injustice when we see it. But he also challenged us not to turn the whips on people either. <laughs> you know, that we need to be table-flipping leaders, but also to be foot-washing leaders. And he, he, he remarked on how Jesus washed, washed the feet of Judas himself. And so while we need to name darkness and confess the light, we also need to lean into relationships in a way that is often sacrificial. Speaking the truth in love, bringing truth, but at the same time, humbly washing the feet of those we might naturally want to distance ourselves from, push away. As people who follow Jesus, who knows that renewal will only come when relationships are renewed, we need to make relationships central in everything. It gets us right down on the ground, right down to some tough stuff. How we speak about people globally, how we speak or treat our neighbor, we make relationships central to everything. And then the third uh, thing as we think about practical implications is that we enter into darkness as the lights of Christ. A lot of people have reflected over the years how Jesus, the incarnation of Jesus, God becoming one of us in Christ, he leads us to do the same. We don't just stand back and watch people flounder, but rather we enter into the struggle that people are having. We enter into the lives of people who are really not making it. We enter into situations of injustice. We enter into um, relationships that have been fractured, to bring reconciliation, to bring light, to bring grace and bring truth. We, um, well, let me rephrase that. I have a tendency to want to sort of speak the truth, say good things, offer some prayers, but hold myself back. And the incarnation of Jesus teaches us that we can't hold ourselves back. We need to enter into the darkness as agents of the Holy Spirit, bringing light, bringing hope, bringing God's recreative work by the Holy Spirit to follow the lead of Jesus and live incarnationally. I don't know what that might be for you. There might be someone in your mind right now. You've been holding yourself away for a situation. You've been holding yourself away. The call of Jesus is for us to follow him 
into the ruin, into the brokenness, to declare his light, his life, and his hope. Those are some practical things that I think really flow out of this story of renewal as we look at how Jesus has come to bring renewal in the darkness. Let me close with a prayer. A prayer that I uh, found just this morning um, from the Covenant Book of Worship, but I think summarizes for us our prayer as a people who are wanting to see God's renewal come both personally and in our world as we see the darkness still threatening, but we know that the light has come. This is the prayer I offer to you. God of peace, let us, your people, know that at the heart of turbulence, there is an inner calm that comes from faith in you. Keep us from being content with things as they are, that from this central peace, there may come a creative compassion, a thirst for justice, and a willingness to give of ourselves in the spirit of Christ. Amen. As we close today, I invite you to listen to this final song. Beautiful song, which captures um, aspects of John chapter 1 in a song that I think will lead us all to really worship the light who has come. God bless. Thank you for listening. We hope today's teaching provided you with life-changing truth and valuable insight. We hope you've learned of some practical steps forward in your spiritual journey, whether you're finding Jesus for the first time or you have been following him for years. Do you know someone who would be encouraged by what you heard today? We invite you to share this podcast so they can be encouraged too. For more information or to ask more questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for the Erickson Covenant Church.